coming guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. 701 on a Tuesday. No, it's a Thursday. It's Thursday. I don't hear any big band music, Mike. No. It starts with a T. I mean, you were close. I was halfway there. You were 50-50, really. It's been a long week. It's been a lot to get into. I anticipated that this week was going to be dull and boring. It was NHL All-Star break is usually the one where you're doing the, let's look back on the first half of the season. Maybe you bring in some people from the All-Star game. Yeah. Have a pickleball guest or two. Yeah. yeah. Lots of soccer talk. Yeah. Which, well, our, which ten, our listeners love, clearly. Ten, ten minutes of it. That's it. And then Tom Brady was like, I got you. Bo Horvat traded. Tom Brady retiring. My word. What a week it's been. We're going to do a little NFL talk with AJ Perez in a minute as we kick off Hour 2 on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 650. Uh, hour 2 of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pay, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, I should also mention that we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You mentioned, Andy, that I should talk about the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th at the Clayton Public House. I will do that on the other side after we're done talking to our next guest, uh, from front office sports, AJ Perez joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, AJ. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time. So we wanted to talk about the carousels in the National Football League, coaching and quarterback. And the quarterback carousel really started to spin yesterday with the news that one, Tom Brady, as we played the audio coming back from break, uh, announcing his retirement. I assume it's for real this time. And then... Uh, the for- San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan taking to the podium in their end-of-year media availability, basically confirming that, yes, Jimmy Garoppolo is done. This is something I think we all knew, but now they're saying it out loud in San Francisco. So, AJ, I ask you, uh, where are we at with regards to the QB carousel after two fairly important developments yesterday? Yeah, there's pretty much one we're still waiting on, where that would be a Derek Carr and his uh, situation there down there in Vegas. Uh, I mean, he hasn't been given permission as as far as we know, to actually talk to another team. So, and they have a big deadline coming up and for his roster bonus. So, we start some, next, for the next week or so, we're probably going to find out what the Raiders are going to do as far as cutting, trading. They don't, they don't have, you know, you know to, uh, to a new team. And there's a lot of teams that need, um, that need quarterbacks. I'm here outside Washington, so the, the commanders. And uh, Rex Ryan on Sunday just dropped uh, that uh, Tom Brady and uh, Sean Payton were coming here under new ownership, but that didn't happen, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Um with the void in Tampa Bay, does this make the arms race now even more intriguing? Like, there's got to be guys. You mentioned Derek Carr. Aaron Rodgers is out there sitting with his potential future up in the air. Lamar Jackson as well. Is this going to be not necessarily unlike other off seasons, but an off season where if you are a guy that can throw a football and can throw it reasonably well, you stand a really good chance of cashing in? Yeah, especially. Yeah, we, we, uh, with the... Uh, with the Ravens, we don't know about the franchise tag situation there with uh, with Lamar, but um, it's uh, yeah, there's going to be a, a, a lot of quarterbacks moving around. Uh, Car- Carson Wentz, probably no one will want him, but he's going to be on the market. <laughs> there's going to be a few others. Um, Garoppolo is going to be intriguing coming off an injury, and obviously, you know what Shanahan said yesterday, I was pretty funny. It was like, yeah, basically no chance of him coming back. Um, 
so yeah, that's going to be it's there. There's, there's there's a handful of teams, and there's a handful of teams that you know that that have new coaches that need new quarterbacks as well. Uh, I want to focus in on the Denver Broncos right now, big picture organizationally, because it seems as though they're at a real crisis point. The offense was so bad last year, the 32nd scoring offense, dead last in the NFL, but one of the best defenses. And there's obviously the inextricably linked to whatever Russell Wilson either can or can't do under center because the contract is so egregious and everything. So it's almost a doubling down on this group, which I think they had to do trading multiple picks, including a first rounder to get Sean Payton in the door as the head coach. If you had to classify to our listenership right now about the current state and how dicey things are for the Denver Broncos, how would you classify it? Oh man, it was, they, they, it's kind of, I wouldn't say a mess, but close. Um, it, they did too many moves. You know, this is, there's a, right now the commanders are for sale. You don't see wholesale changes when the ownership about to change. We don't see that in any sport, but the Broncos before the new owner was the new um, Walton Air, uh, the Walmart Air uh, was approved as as the owner in August. They had already have had a new GM president uh, made that trade for Russell Wilson, and none of that worked out. Now you yeah you're stuck with Wilson. You can fire the coach, which they did fire Hackett. So it's it's going to be intriguing what they what they do now. They now now you're right. They overpaid. I don't understand how Sean Payton, who has basically the same record, postseason record, uh, career record. Uh, as uh, Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys, <laughs> you're going to give all that up for him. I know it's a great coach. I'm not going to say, second guess him, but it's uh, you know this, that's a lot to give up. I, I don't understand why there's so many, especially as the as the um, as the NFL you know just pushing new 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 um, uh, programs for to get uh, diverse candidates in there, and we're here and have another recycled white coach. I'm not recycled is kind of harsh for for Sean Payton, but you know that's you know these these coaches bounce around. I mean, I think the interesting thing that you brought up there is, is this price worth what you're getting? Is this juice worth the squeeze? Because you're giving up an awful lot for a guy that, yes, he was the NFL's coach of the year in 2006. He's got a great resume, but 2006 was 17 years ago. And I do wonder if this might end up being a little bit like what we're seeing in the QB carousels, you don't necessarily need to be a great QB, but you're coming along at a time where you can drive up your asking price because certain teams are desperate and certain teams need to make a move. I feel like that might be what the Sean Payton thing ends up being because he's got a huge task ahead here. I mean, trying to fix this offense yeah. isn't anything small. It is the worst offense in the NFL. It was amazing how, how you know, it, and, and those in Seattle were like, oh, well, he's Russell Wilson has been doing this. He's been kind of, you know, obviously Pete Carroll was kind of have hit those flaws. I don't know how much of that is the case. I'm sure there were some things that, that, that in his game in prior seasons that really came out this past season. But, you know, I think he's still, you know, he's still a, a great quarterback. I just don't think the system was right for him. This year two is going to be huge. I know they're going to, you know, after this next season, you know, you've been, you're talking about eating that salary and trying to figure out how to, how to move on from him because you have to basically give him at least one more season, probably two. We're speaking to AJ Prez from Front Office Sports here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, AJ, before we let you go, I do want to ask about the upcoming Super Bowl. Fairly big deal for the National Football League and all parties involved. What are some of the storylines that you've been following? I know there's a real interesting business angle to this, in part because of the implementation of sports betting and how that's going to be probably front and center as we get towards the Super Bowl, the biggest sporting event in terms of betting on the calendar. Uh, and there's all the other stories that come along with this long wait that we have ahead of the Super Bowl, the ticket prices, <laughs> how things are going to play out. What are some of the stories that you're following right now at Front Office Sports? 
Yeah, so obviously the ticket situation, that was in 2015. They had, this is like, I'm working on a story about the, the uh, kind of how this 2015, there was a whole, like no, none of the tickets got on the market like usual. They, there was no inventory that like caused ticket brokers to go out of, pretty much go out of business. They couldn't find uh, tickets for decent prices. They were overpaying. So looking looking at that situation, obviously counterfeit tickets are kind of no longer a thing really since we're, we pretty much everything's, uh, has uh, digital ticket ticketing, so there's there's less of that. Th- but, but things are always changing. This is the first year the Apple is um, is the primary sponsor for the halftime show, so that's going to be the change from Pepsi. There's, yeah, there's those kind of storylines like that, and I'm also going to be in town, pretty much trying to gather as much information as I can on the commander's uh, ownership situation and potentially, you know, Bezos coming in to uh, purchase the team. Well, it should be an interesting time. We certainly have a lot of time to wait, and we get the Pro Bowl in between. So, AJ, with that, I want to thank you for doing this this morning. appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy all your time at the Super Bowl, and uh, best of luck with everything as you try and get some more stories on the site. Great. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That's AJ Perez from Front Office Sports. Uh, A little NFL talk here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Speaking of the football, we have... The big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th at the Clayton Public House. Uh, Sportsnet 650's very own Randeep Janda is going to be hosting. Uh, we've already committed him to a variety of very dangerous tasks, which I'm sure he is looking forward to as much as you, the public. If you want to be in on this, we've got prizing throughout the game. Kickoff is at 3.30, but if you want to get there early, there will be tailgating ahead of the big party. Uh, visit them at theclaytonpub.com. Try and get your seats. I know it's going to be a big packed event. We've been giving away gift cards and we've been giving away reserved seating, but there still will be seats available. Uh, 15 television screens, two big screens. Great place to watch uh, the big game on Super Sunday, February 12th at the Clayton Public House. Hi, A Dog. Hello. How are you? I'm well. That's good. That was a very good read. Thank you. I'm stoked. Are, are, is, your, uh, is your froth peaked? Yeah. yeah. Freaking booze, man. <laughs> Oh, by the way, uh, we should have mentioned this off the top as we were doing our Canuck rundown. Did you guys see that they've figured out the Bo Horvat problem at the All-Star game? Yeah, he's wearing – so. He's, he's <laughs> Apparently you didn't figure no, it out. We talked about this. We were, we were wondering if this was going to happen. And this he's is what's he's still happen. on the Pacific team, but we're with the Islanders gear. He will, be, I, he will be a member of the Islanders. Yes. But he will be, be representing the Pacific Division still. Yes. The team that he originally got nominated for. No trades allowed at the All-Star game. Well, this is the same solution. I remember because we were there in 2016 when the John Scott thing happened. This was the same hasty solution that they came to with Scott because Scott was there technically as a member of the Arizona Coyotes, but he had been traded to Montreal. And the great conspiracy theory at the time was this was orchestrated at the highest levels, this trade, that it would somehow get John Scott out of the All-Star game (laughs) because they they very clearly did not want him there. Yes. But lo and behold, the loophole didn't work, and they're like, fine, just go play on whatever division team that you were with at the time of the trade. It seems so. a little awkward, but I'm sure I'm sure he won't care. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll he be, gets to be teammates be with Petey one last time. Yeah. They get one last ride together. Yeah, it'll be cool. So I think that'll be fun, and that'll be interesting. It's a, little, a little strange, but I mean, it'll be cool. You also see that uh, Bo's going to be wearing number 14. That's right. For the Islanders. They announced that yesterday as well. So 53 was taken by Casey Zizekas. Have you noticed, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but have you noticed the Islanders roster is very bereft of high numbers? Yeah, Lou doesn't like him. Lou doesn't care for the high numbers. Do they have a bunch of low numbers retired, though? It's tough. It's tough. (laughs) Well, the only high numbers, I think, are Pajot, where's 44, 
and Zeker. I, I get a lot of lose. Uh, let's call them eccentricities or or idiosyncrasies. Comes from an older generation. I understand a lot of it, like the facial hair, and you want to dress nice, uniformity. I, I understand that where he's coming from. Yeah. Because uh, I've worked with older radio gentlemen in my other jobs that are kind of like that as well. Uh, so I, I totally understand that that uh, era. Mm-hmm. But um. The high number thing I don't get as much. It's too is flashy. It, is it? Yeah. Is it a flashiness, cockiness kind of thing? Like it's too flashy. Just yeah. A high he, number. He thinks yeah. everyone should oh, just be that like, number. I'm, that's yeah. getting up there. I don't I like will, it. I he will, wants a number you can. It's set. too bendy yeah. for me. I don't know. I it's will a number you can set your clock to. I will readily admit that I am of the same ilk. I am a grandpa style when it comes to high numbers. Everybody should be one. Or two. If you have retiring numbers, then yeah. Well, that's the other thing. We retire numbers too easily as a society. (laughs) We're just too willy nilly with it. I don't think we ever really appreciate the ramifications of putting a number up there because that means that no one else can use it. And there's only so many numbers. And we go on for infinity, or some of us do. The organization keeps going. They keep playing hockey. I think. Can we talk about how the odds were extremely low that Bo Horvath got traded to a team that had a player wearing number fifty-three? How many active fifty-three? I'm looking at the list. The Jeff Skinner, uh, Casey Sizikis. Is Tim Erickson still playing? I, probably not. That's it. That's all I can see. And Shane Gostisbehere. So there's about three teams that he could have gone to with right. active number fifty-three wears, and he went to one of them. Yeah, and I'm you know he could have done the the transaction thing like Danny Jansen. Remember yes. we had Danny Jansen on the show? They didn't was... want to talk about that, though. That was interesting. That I don't was know. weird. Yeah. Okay. It's like it's like an unspoken thing. You know, These deals clearly go down, but they don't want to talk about what they get. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got Horvat, all that's done, signed, sealed, and delivered. Number 14 on Long Island. Uh, we'll still be teammates with Elias Pettersson at the upcoming All-Star game. That's going to be a really interesting dynamic is the media availabilities for those two going into Florida because Bo is the talking point across the NHL right now. And not just because it's Bo Horvat. Like, all due respect to a guy that is one of the leading goal scorers in the league and a captain being moved, it's also the only move. There are dozens of media outlets and reporters that are going to be using that trade as a jumping-off point for everything. Is this going to open up the market? Has the bar been set? You know, is this going to be a precursor to other teams saying, okay, well, the first domino has fallen. Let's move in. Now it starts being asked, is this going to set a secondary softer market for Ryan O'Reilly and Jonathan Taves? Is it going to be, oh, now the arms race has begun because the Islanders made the first big move and they got maybe the most prized guy on the market. Does it mean every trade from here on in will involve teams retaining salary is that just going to be a normal thing now likely i think it's going to have to be i mean the 25 percent here was honestly about an islanders team that just needed to get this in i mean nobody has any money it's pretty much the only way you can make these things work especially if it's a bigger move well and the third party laundering part of this too right how many times are you going to yeah how many times are you going to implement a third team just to make the money work and just to get them in you only do that for a handful of deals though i feel like there's a lot of minor deals or sort of under-the-radar deals that our teams are just passing on because the money doesn't work or it's not worth going out of your way to do a move like that for the player or the price that you'd be getting back in return. That's what it feels like to me, at least. Uh, speaking of the All-Star break, we did go into the All-Star break with a little bit of a bang yesterday. Uh, in case you missed it, good matchup. There was only two games last night as everyone was looking to dust off the final first half of their schedule. Uh, Boston and Toronto. So Boston becomes a really interesting story going into this trade or trade deadline, going into this All-Star break 
because they snapped a very modest, although not modest for them, it was a pretty significant three-game losing streak, 5-2 win over the Leafs last night in Toronto. And there were a lot of talking points from this one. We mentioned the Simmons-AJ Greer fight already. Uh, A lot of people came out of this game comically saying, well, the Leafs learned a lesson of where the bar is to be a competitive team. I'm like, the Leafs are second to them in the division. Like, they're third. They're all in the same sort of pool. But, yes, Boston has emerged as the class of the NHL. They go in to the All-Star weekend uh, with the best record in the NHL. They're way ahead of Carolina. I mean, seven points clear at this stage of the season for first and second. Best penalty kill, too. Best penalty kill in the league. Uh, Linus Allmark's going to the All-Star game as a goalie. He made 33 saves for yet another win. He's got a really gaudy record. That wasn't the only real talking point about this one. Do we have the Brad Marchand audio up and ready? So Brad Marchand now is entering really unique territory. He's beloved now. He's He's really big on Twitter now. He's really active. He is, but he isn't. I almost expect him to start tweeting mid-game. He is uh, what they call a, I'll use the appropriate language here, crap poster. He's painfully good Poop at Twitter. Poop poster. Yep. yep. That's, he goes on, and then he just throws something at the wall and kind of lights Twitter on fire and then just leaves. So it's like, it's like what he does on the ice, but he's yeah. moved it into the Twitter sphere. But he, <laughs> there's not even as many antics. He just kind of does something. And then you'll see he doesn't tweet for a long time. He just, it's almost like he forgot that he did it which is the best kind of tweeting. Oh, yeah. I mocked Steve Dangle on Twitter. I forgot about that. I want to imagine one of his teammates steals his phone randomly and just tweets for him, and he doesn't even realize. No, this is is 100% him. He has... He's been able to carve out this niche for himself. One, because his play has been excellent, and he's been such a good high-level producer for a long time. Two, he's definitely become more comfortable in his own skin and nose, but skin... And licking other people's skin, too. Well, he's dropped that persona of the just egregiously stupid stuff on the ice, and I think he's found, in a weird way, he's kind of channeled that inherent jerk and that guy that always needs to needle people and has found another outlet for it. Honestly, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze the guy. Twitter feces posting. Well, also live in front of the media, where he's gotten pretty good, too. So this is Marshawn yesterday, ahead of the Leafs game, talking about if he gets into it with anybody from the Leafs. Does anybody on the Leafs have the ability to chirp on the same level as Brad Marchand? Here's what he had to say. There's not really many guys that like to get into it. Mitch is out there talking about video games and his dog and <laughs> <laughs> those terrible new skates that he's got out. But, uh, yeah, other than that, um, it's not a whole lot of guys that like to get into it. The clip went on from there. The skates were terrible, by the way. Uh, were those the Miami Vice skates? I caught a quick glimpse of them, and they just they looked awful. I'm with Brad. So there's another thing that you, as I look forward to the stories that are going to percolate, you have to look forward to this, and you have to say, okay, uh, Marshawn, funny, going to a big media event like this, he'll be front and centers in front of cameras, and he kind of set the table for himself by doing all this chirping and getting after Steve Dangle on Twitter. I'm not even going to go down the road of explaining it. Some stories, they're just too much to explain on the radio. This is one of them. Just know that we've got uh, maybe the most popular YouTuber in the hockey industry against one of the best players in the NHL trading barbs on Twitter at one another, which is pleasant. Another story going into All-Star Weekend, the Vegas Golden Knights, who the other day announced that Mark Stone would be out, and they phrased it this way, indefinitely after undergoing back surgery. They did not put a timetable on it, at least publicly, and I think they did that very intentionally. 
All that they said is that he is going to return to full health. They assume that he is going to come back 100%. The timeline on this, of course, is that he had an injured back. He underwent rehab on it, suffered a setback, and then the decision was made to go for surgery. Uh, He was hurt earlier. It was on January 12th against the Panthers. He hasn't played since. Prior to the injury, Stone was playing every night. Didn't miss a game until he suffered the setback against the Panthers, and now he's out. Do you think Rutherford and Alvin might be talking to Vegas now? Well, Andy, I'm glad that you brought that up because a number of people, number of people have texted into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket asking the obvious questions. Do the guys that are looking to do major surgery on their roster, and that's Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin and president of Hockey Ops Jim Rutherford, does major surgery involve getting Vegas involved? Maybe you bring in another doctor, another scalpel. Because what Vegas can do now, if Stone is indeed out long-term, is the good old-fashioned LTIR trick. And they'll have that cap space available to them. And you know that this is a Vegas team that has far higher aspirations than what happened last year, which was missing the playoffs entirely. I don't think Besser solves what they need, but they may be in a uh, we-are-beggars-not-choosers position. A month away from the deadline, no certain future on Stone, although I guarantee they know how long he's going to be out for. May we offer you one shiny JT Miller? Well, you have to at least present the theory of it. Now, I am very clearly on record saying that I don't see it happening with this management group. I don't see them reneging, essentially, on this deal that they crafted out last summer, signed Miller to, and still seemingly count as a core member of this team what if the offer is really good though well i mean that's part of the modern nhl right we've talked about this before is that if you don't have the flexibility both in terms of cap and in terms of assets to pounce on things that pop up out of nowhere you're not staying relevant with the times i often point to the carolina hurricanes as a team that has done this and operated in this fashion they've stayed below the cap they've allowed themselves to be flexible it's how they got brent burns in the mix And that one worked out well for them. That's also how they got Max Pacioretty. And that one hasn't worked out well for them. They pounced on that opportunity where they essentially got Pacioretty on a free. And then he suffered a second torn Achilles. You can argue it didn't really cost them anything either, though. They can do the exact same thing that Stone and Vegas can do. is They can plop them on LTIR and they can use that cap space. So they do still have, again, flexibility. Here's the thing. The Canucks didn't see this situation by this, I mean the entire year, going the way that it did. They went in with Bruce Boudreaux as their head coach and aspirations to be a playoff team. In the span of three months, that's all gone, right? Boudreaux's gone and the playoffs are gone. So how are you able to adjust to the ever-changing climate and landscape? Well, something's popped up in Vegas. Up until March 12th, or sorry, March 12th, January 12th, Mark Stone was an active living member of the team and society. He's no longer. Well, (laughs) he's got a bad back. You know how hard it is to move around with a bad back? Oh, I do. And he's undergone back surgery. So now all of a sudden an opportunity has presented itself. Vegas wants to be a playoff team and more. They are a win-now franchise. Yeah, they still feel like they're in their window of sorts, even though they've always been missing last year. There's also an inherent desire from Bill Foley all the way down to win now. Get to a Stanley Cup final again, which is amazing coming from a 
franchise that's only been around for less than a half a decade. So the, the, the pressure is there. The opportunity has arisen. And you've got to wonder, not just from the Canucks, of course, but other teams across the NHL as well, is it time to pounce? Are they going to get in on this? I bring all of these big NHL stories up because coming up next, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. As we head into the All-Star break, I want to look at the trade landscape as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks, what comes next for them, how the trade landscape has been shifted in the wake of the Bo Horvat trade, and what we can expect next, not just from the Vancouver Canucks, but the NHL at large. Frank Saravalli coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-one on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Andy's chair dancing back there. I'm digging it. Maddie was like, "This is too ridiculous to play." I'm like, "That's why you play it." There's a lot going on here. There is. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Although today it's just the Halford Show. All Hal, no bro. Bro is under the weather. He's not feeling well. His froth is not peaked. He is not getting a boost. And believe me, he's legitimately not feeling well because he would not want to miss a show like today's show. Get a chance to talk to Frank Saravelli. He's coming up in just a second here as we are in the midst of hour two. We're also going to talk to new Canucks head coach Rick Tockett at 8.30 this morning. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask, the newest Vancouver Canucks head coach. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. I mentioned we're in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Pal Street in Vancouver. This uh, hour of Halford and Bruff, featuring just Halford, is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. Happy to have our next guest on the program from Daily Faceoff. It is Frank Saravalli here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I am good. I am uh, staring at the beach here in South Florida for All-Star Weekend and uh, thankfully in air conditioning because this body was not built for this kind of <laughs> I was going to say, having been to Florida numerous times and having uh, experienced the humidity, it's a sweaty time in yeah, Florida. Look, I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, I don't know that I packed enough clothes is the problem. <laughs> okay, Frank, we talked about Florida prior to your hit here because the entire hockey world is going to congregate in all the media. And uh, thank God for the Vancouver Canucks and the New York Islanders because not only did they give everyone something to discuss going in to this weekend, but there's also that hope, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that this may sort of loosen up or shake loose the trade tree. Once you get that first deal out of the way, sometimes there is a domino effect. Yeah, I just don't buy it in this case. And I think a big reason for that is this deal was sort of unique in the timing of it, that the Islanders were pushing the envelope because they want to get back in the race. They've got some ground to make up and each passing game or day um, was less of an opportunity to do so. So from their perspective, quite clearly, they put 
the player on the table that the Canucks were most interested in in Ratu. And then after that, um, for the Canucks perspective, a lot of people have asked, why, you know, why now? Why pull the trigger when you could maybe wait, play this out a bit and potentially get more? I think there was a real desire on the Canucks end to be in a spot where they could get a fresh start on the other side of the bye week and the break Mm. to turn down the noise in what's been an incredibly dramatic season as we've all chronicled and start fresh so much as you can, knowing that there's going to be other players on your team that are traded. So I'd like to think that it would open the floodgates. I just don't think when you look at the contenders and teams that are involved uh, to make some of these moves, that given the standings, anyone's really super antsy to do so. Well, I just wonder, maybe even just because it's from a Canucks perspective, there does seem to be the sense of, okay, great, the trade happened, what comes next? Because, look, I mean, we just talked about this prior to having you on. Since Rick Tockett's come aboard, uh, Ilya McKay has been shut down for the year with the torn ACL. Nice work on that scoop, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, and then... Uh, They lost the player to waivers, Lane Peterson, and then Bo Horvath got traded. So in the span of three games as head coach, three fairly major roster transactions on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks. And there is that sense of what comes next. I think it's also very intriguing, Frank, because when Jim Rutherford said this is going to require major surgery, it feels like the scalpels are out and there might be other procedures to follow. Are you, is that a medical reference? That was a medical reference, yes. Oh, so what do you got? Give me, give me the deets. Give me the scoop. Where do you think the Canucks go from here, and would they do it in short order? Because another part of this is that you want to give Rick Tockett an opportunity to work with the group that he might have moving forward and not have a bunch of rumors swirling around when he's trying to, you know, teach them how to kill penalties and play with structure and play defense. Yeah, and, and get a string of 10 straight practices if that was only possible. Yes. Um, I, you threw me through a loop there because I thought you were hinting at someone else needing surgery and not an actual team surgery. It was metaphorical. Uh, roster-wise. Um, I think the most interesting part of the last two weeks in Canuckland is the fact that they've, instead of creating salary cap flexibility, they've essentially added $10 million in wingers with the deal for Kuzmenko and now Anthony Beauvillier. So they're in a spot where instead of creating that cap flexibility, you've kind of only added to it right now. Uh, I know subtracting Bo is, is part of the math equation too, but um, what's next is the surgery. You mentioned scalpel to begin cutting out some of those contracts that um, they need to, in order to make that happen. So Brock Besser, you're on the clock. Come on down. Um, I believe you know, all signs point to Brock being next. Uh, how they then shape that transaction, whether it's retaining, whether it's taking on an expiring larger contract coming back the other way or something that might not be quite as palatable in the short term. Uh, there's lots of options to do it. And if they get to the right number, and I'm not saying they should retain, I, I think the Canucks, from a pure a pure financial and uh, cap standpoint are better off taking a lesser asset in return than taking on something back or retaining. Um, That would seem to be the play. I mean, Connor Garland, people have talked about, I think the extra year of term probably, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And also maybe some of the track record that 
you know, he had success under Rick Tockett and, and that was where he first got his shot in the NHL was playing under him. I wonder if there's any sort of, you know, perspective change on thinking about Connor Garland. Uh, with regards to Besser, let's zero in on that for a sec because the name has been out there for a while. Obviously, there was the news, oh, feels like a long time ago, but it was just over a month ago where the agent was granted permission to go seek a trade. Although Patrick Alvin has never confirmed that publicly. I just throw that out there. Uh, it sounds like New Jersey is a logical landing spot because they're looking for a top six, wing, top six winger that can score goals. Would Vegas enter the chat or the equation here because of the news on Mark Stone? Potentially, but I think they'd probably be trying to swing bigger. And then the factor with Stone that comes into play with Besser is they'd need an expiring contract, not someone with two more years. Like they still need to be cap compliant next year, and there are no rabbits out of their hat that they can pull. Um, given that Stone, at least according to their release, is going to make a full recovery. The big question is when is that? Is that sometime during the playoffs? Is it next season? Who knows? But the name that jumps out to me for Vegas and Stone is immediately Patrick Kane. Right winger, hmm. you know, can afford the cap hit uh, almost uh, with that LTIR space, nine and a quarter from Stone. Kane is at ten and a half. If you have Chicago retain half, which they're more than willing to do, then all of a sudden you'd have an ability if you're Vegas to also add on the back end, which is where things get really interesting. Um so Vegas, they've got some money to play with. Uh, I just don't necessarily it, see it being better. Uh, I, I want to circle back to Horvat for a sec because we're talking about all these other moves that are out there. Um, was a price set here, or is this just a bit of a trade that exists in a vacuum because it was rather unique? Uh, I ask this because if you're talking about the likes of Patrick Kane being moved, you've got to look and say, well... The return on Horvat was what it was. And I know you guys even at Daily Face have had the conversation if you thought that the Canucks got enough in return for Horvat. So I guess one, the question is, was the market set, was the pricing set? And two, what conclusions did you guys come to about whether the Canucks got enough for Horvat or not? I guess it depends on who you trust in terms of talent evaluation. I don't know. I'm not a prospects or draft expert, and I would never pretend to be one. I can't make a judgment on Atu Ratu, and I, you know, certainly am not going to knock or question the scouting bones that Patrick Alvine has made in this business. Uh, talent evaluators that I trust have pegged the return at Beauvillier and Ratu at a ceiling of essentially two third-line players. And if you're getting two third-line players and a first-round pick, depending on where it is, even in a good draft, is that enough for a player who's had a magical season like Bo Horvat has had? To me, probably not. But there's still so much to be determined. Like, is their ceiling higher than that? Um, how does all that work out? And so I, I don't have an answer. Um, I guess my thing is I – you know, the Canucks were in a spot where when you look at what they were asking for in an NHL-ready player and a close-to-NHL-ready player, is their mantra, their line of thinking of retool instead of rebuild, did that hamstring how they approach this trade? Mm. That's, I think, the bigger takeaway and question instead of did they get enough? 
And there's no guarantee, we've talked about this, there's no guarantee on draft picks when you trade for them in futures. But what it does is it turns the temperature down on the need to be right immediately. Right. That you can't, when you're retooling, you can't miss. Like if Ratu is a miss and Beauvillier is, is just what he is, then this is a miss. And, and it's going to set you back further. Um, but we don't know yet. And that's the true answer. And, and as far as setting the market, I don't believe this has an impact on anyone except for Ryan O'Reilly, right. um, who's four years older, also a center, maybe changes how the St. Louis Blues look at his, the package that they might get in return for him. But teams might also say, look, this was probably a play in which the Islanders are very likely to re-sign Horvat. In fact, I'd be surprised if a deal isn't already done that, they're in a spot where maybe that changes the complexion of it too. Okay, let's focus on that. That was the next question I wanted to ask you is about uh, the extension because uh, Lou Lamorello said upon the announcement of the deal that they didn't have any conversations. They weren't granted permission to talk with the Horvat camp about an extension, but Lou made it very clear that they wanted to re-sign him. Uh, what's the general sense there? Have you gotten any more information in the subsequent days about where things are at with regards to Bo Horvat signing an extension with the Islanders? Yeah, I, I think they're well down the track. Um, I was told from someone who has direct knowledge of Lou Lamorello's thinking, which is pretty rare, and I wish i talked to this person more often. Uh, they said that Lou Lamorello was not pulling the trigger on this deal unless he knew that he was going to be re-signing Bo Horvath. Okay. That he wasn't willing to give up uh, those assets in order to do it. And so... We just know, you know, I, there's a reason I put instead of buyers or sellers uh, that the Islanders are in a only God and Lou knows category that he announces deals when he's darn good and ready to do so. So whether it's signing a guy in July and waiting until September to announce it, I don't really have any doubt or question in my mind that Bo Horvat's going to be an Islander for a long time. So should, we should essentially put to bed the notion that the Islanders could flip Horvat if they, let's say, hypothetically fall completely out of this and go into a tailspin. Horvat's going to sign an extension with the Islanders, and that talk is just mindless chatter? That's what I believe. Yeah. Um, the, everyone points to Thomas Vanek, but it was a different regime. And two... We know that Lou Amarillo is a believer in this team, that it, he doubled down on the roster in the summer by not really making significant changes to an older team that has lots of term locked up to it and now is essentially tripling down. So I don't know why we would believe anything other than that. We're speaking to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here in the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You mentioned Ryan O'Reilly there. Intriguing figure for me, if only because in Vancouver we saw an awful lot of him, including in the bubble in that series where he played brilliantly at times, and that was a year after he won the Conn Smythe, of course. But that was a few years ago. The Blues have not had a good year whatsoever. It's been pretty tumultuous, all things considered. Um, what's the current temperature of O'Reilly in St. Louis? Is it a foregone conclusion that he's going to move? Will they try and circle back like the Canucks did one last time to try and get a deal it, done, or will he be somewhere else at the deadline? Did the Canucks try and circle back? I don't have any evidence that they did. No final circle um, back, eh? I don't think so. I think that this, you know, the fact that Pat Morris was in Vancouver and they met and didn't talk about Bo. Um, and frankly, hadn't, I don't believe, talked about Bo in a while, maybe since November. 
I don't think they ever did circle back. So uh, take that for what it's worth. No, I'm, um, I'm glad you provided a little bit of clarity on that because we had conflicting reports locally. One that suggested that there was a meeting between Morris and the Canucks and then uh, Alvin saying that he did meet with them. I guess the gray area there is what did you well, he, meet no, about? Well, no, he did meet with them. What but did you I, meet I about? They right? were not speaking about Bo, I don't think. Yeah, okay. That's good to know. Okay, so back to the O'Reilly thing. Yeah, so I I don't think there's a lot. Like, I haven't gotten any sense from anyone that I've talked to that they are making progress on what an extension might look like. I think the Blues are ready to cut the cord. Um, O'Reilly's been an incredible pickup for them. I think they view him as, and and frankly, some other players on their team, Barbashev, uh, and Nola Chari, who's also getting some attention as well. I mentioned Nico Mikola and have a story about him today on Daily Faceoff. Vladimir Tarasenko. They're viewing all these guys as a collection of assets, which they can then take and either use for futures or more likely to then flip and, and improve their team in the short term to take advantage of this next sort of cycle that's being led by Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and, and Tori Krug and, and those guys. So um, that's their thought process. I think they're getting antsy. I think Doug Armstrong would like to make changes now rather than wait. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a Blues trade materialize here in the next week or 10 days for one of those players that I just mentioned, if not more, because I think they're ready to roll. I think they've seen enough to know that this team isn't good enough to compete this year, and they're ready to look toward the future. We're speaking to Frank Cervelli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, Frank, I intentionally left this for last. We've got about five or six minutes here before we go to break. And, and the one name in Vancouver that we've talked a lot about over the last 24 hours, uh, piggybacking off reports from Elliot Friedman, among those included, the future of Thatcher Demko. And uh, there was a time where Demko was always listed in the big three of the Canucks core. It was Demko, Pedersen, Hughes, goalie, defenseman, forward. Uh, you know, makes sense. Now we're getting reports that there might be something to him at the very least, having teams call in on his availability, which I guess makes sense from the set, from the factor of he could return not just one asset, but maybe multiple assets, given what he brings to the table. What do you know? What have you heard about interest in Thatcher Demko on the trade market? So Thatcher Demko is not going to be on my trade targets board on Friday okay. uh, when I release the next edition. And one, he's still injured, and I think everyone wants to see what he looks like on the other side of that injury. Two, I don't have any evidence that even if the Canucks have been receiving calls and inquiring about Thatcher Demko, that they're actually considering them or something's been presented that really makes them think. Uh, maybe you have your sort of general tire kickers. Um, I do think that there has been some... I don't want to I don't know if you want to call it frustration, but some friction potentially um, in terms of I don't know if it's necessarily around the injury or what and how it's been managed. But I think it's one of those situations where, you know, Thatcher Demko has really bumped up against the limit in terms of what his body could handle in this last calendar year. Okay. And I think Part of that is just natural, right? That there is that, you know, frustration that comes with an injury like this. Um, and so 
I think that's kind of been lingering out there, and that may be where some of the chatter is coming from. But I don't, I don't have any evidence right now to say that the Canucks would seriously consider moving him. Are they slamming the phone down on, on any call that's coming in outside of Pedersen and maybe Hughes? Probably not. So you have to allow for the possibility, and that's not me hedging, but I would say right now I think there's more smoke than there is fire. Yeah, I mean, we tried to frame this earlier in the show that this is the time of the year where you can accept calls on virtually anyone because you're open to all ideas and you listen to everything, even if you only listen well, to it. But especially where the Canucks are at. Like, well, you'd, have, you'd be dumb not to. And that's part of what you get when your president of Hockey Ops goes out and says that this roster and this team needs major surgery. There, that's going to draw the attention of the rest of the NHL. I mean, I think you probably remember as well as anyone that prior to trading PK Subban, Mark Bergeron kind of infamously said, I can't control who calls me about what players. And it was an interesting way to frame the, the idea that ah, there might've already been a trade framework in place. It's just, you didn't necessarily make the call, but you took the call. And I think that's a big part of all of this. Yeah. I just, I don't think the Canucks are anywhere down the track on it. And I also think, um, the part of the hangup is the, the return that you get for goalies based on the way the market has been set. It's such a fickle position by nature and Demko has really struggled this year and he had the injury. How much did that impact his play? Like, I, I just don't know that they're in a window right now to, to hit a grand slam home run and get the return that would really make you excited for it. If there was a time to do it, it would have been last summer coming off of, you know, an unbelievable season or something right. like that to then pull the trigger when his value, the value is at its highest. It's just, I don't think it's there right now. I don't. Frank, this was great, bud. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this today. We always appreciate it. Uh, enjoy Florida and all it has to offer over All-Star Weekend. We'll do this again next week. Hey, and I want to add a question for you for Rick Tockett. Yes. I mentioned before that I did a bunch of TV with him. Obviously, he was on the the panel at TNT, I was wondering if his first few press conferences back, including the one when he used the word soft, if he had to maybe bite his tongue a little bit, transitioning from TV back to behind the bench. Great question, Frank. I've written it down. I will ask the head coach coming up at 830. Thanks, bud. Tell him I said hi. See will do. Thanks, Frank. That's Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. There's an interesting one. You know, you said I, writ- I wrote it down. People can see you, right? Cameras on you. I wrote it down in my, my oh. brain. <laughs> in the mind grapes, I yeah. forgot. Yes. Yeah. No one's watching the stream also. I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> you don't even know what I'm doing. You could be doing anything right now. I'm dancing. Uh, that is a good question, though, that last one, because um, he never walked it back. Did you notice that? Did you guys notice that? There were, I mean, I remember the one time, probably the last time that Boudreaux really ripped the team. I can't even remember what loss it was following but he didn't even put the positive Bruce spin on it. Like, we'll just work our way out of it. He just ripped him. And then the next day he came back and he's like, sorry guys, it's my job as a coach to get these guys to perform. I'm like, oh, he's walking it back. But I, you know, the, the really interesting thing about talk is he was brought in to identify all of these things. They want to know uh, right down to the marrow, what this group is about. And that's what talk there for. Right? He's not here to get the team into the playoffs. Isn't there sort of like a level of impunity at the start, though, that he's got? Like, what are you going to do? Fire him? <laughs> if yeah, he says that's fair really too. Right? He's like, there, I just started. Like, yeah. The concern would free reign to say the what concern he wants would right be now. that you piss off the players or you lose some yes. players. But I think you could even spin that 
into saying, well, if you uh, if you're looking to weed out some guys, maybe the ones that don't respond to that challenge are the ones you weed out. That's an that's that's a big part of this. And remember, be part of his process. He's three games into it, so you know, throwing down the gauntlet early, a pretty standard practice for a new head coach. I, I again, I remember transcribing that post game presser where they got blown out six to one in Seattle. Because I was like, this is the kind of game where you really get to see what the Canucks have been this year, warts and all. The worst of the team. All the issues, all the hits were played that night. All the issues that had been recurring throughout the year all presented themselves in Seattle. With a different coach behind the bench. And that's what he's there to identify, to figure out what can we fix, what can't we fix, what are we going to have to surgically remove. I love using the surgery thing. It's my favorite thing right now. How much are they regretting morphing that Pearson interview press conference into one long one. It was <laughs> a lot all of, the surgery references. It was just, a lot of... Actu- I just cringe every time. It I was hear. a lot of actual surgery yeah. rubbing up against metaphorical surgery. And then, and then like I confused the hell out of Frank trying to marry the two. He's like, what are you talking about right now? But that's what you get when you have lots of surgery talk. Anyway, we got a big final hour on the show, Halford and Bruff show, without Bruff on Sportsnet 650. I know he's upset. I know he would want to be here today because this 8 o'clock hour is so tailor-made. We have reports that Bruff sat on his balls and he's out for the next <laughs> three months. <laughs> we had to shut down production. All the greats, Mr. Belvedere, Mr. Belvedere, Bruff, <laughs> fell to the same fate. Bruff, um, Bruff is dawned to British accents. <laughs> we can call him later on if we want. Anyway, I know Bruff would have enjoyed this final hour because we're going to talk to Chris Faber, who he has anointed. One of the up-and-coming young stars in Vancouver Canucks media. Quite accurately as well. So Faber's going to join us at 8 to talk all things Canucks. We can get an Aturatu scouting profile from Faber. Hey, Aturatu. There you go. Aturatu. Aturatu. And at 8.30, we're going to talk to Aturatu's new head coach in the future. Right now, it's Jeremy Colleton. Soon, it will be Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett's going to join us on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Thank you to all of you, including Frank Saravalli, who have submitted questions for the head coach. We are doing this ex- exercise. If you would like to have your question potentially answered by Rick Tockett, text it now. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Rick Tockett at 830, Chris Faber at 8 o'clock. It is a tremendous final hour. So tune in, yeah? Halford, Bruff, Sportsnet 650.